Father God, we love you. Father God, you are a God of love and truth and grace and mercy. That you sent your son to the cross to die in our place when we deserved not of it. So Lord, today, as every day, we come together to declare Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. And to simply worship and say thank you. To simply bow before the king and say we love you. So God, today, we ask that your spirit will be present here. That your spirit will guide us. That your spirit will uh, point us towards Jesus and convict us and grow us and reprove us in any area that's necessary. God, we also know that in in, in this moment, in in these days, that... As I look across the congregation, I know that there are hurts in this room. I know there is sickness in this room. I know there are broken hearts in this room. I know there is sickness connected to people in this room. Because God, we believe you are a God who knows our hurts. But more than that, you are a God who wants to mend our hurts. You are a God of healing. You are a God of comfort. You are a God who came to set us free and a God who came not just to promise us eternity, but to give us victory today. So God, today, in all the hurts and all the sicknesses and all the pains and all the family struggles and all the the broken hearts and all the evil in the hearts of man that has not been reconciled to the cross, Lord, we declare victory. We pray, we, we pray a prayer of intercession for anyone connected to anyone in this room who is laying in a hospital bed today, God. We believe that you can reach down into that hospital bed and that you can comfort and you can heal. So God, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you do work. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you change hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you push back disease and declare healing and victory. So Lord, whatever person or whatever situation that comes to any mind in this place right now in this moment, Lord, we pray that Jesus will intercede. We declare it. We love you, Jesus, and we believe that you have good in mind for your children. So Lord, we pray for triumph in this life, that we don't walk in defeat because the world says we have to, but that we walk in victory because Jesus finished it on the cross. Holy Spirit, come. I give you my tongue, I give you my mind. I give you all that is me as we crack open the word of God and we trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, we've been working our way through Colossians the last several weeks, but we took a two-week break for Palm Sunday and Easter, which I think was a welcome to break, a necessary break to be specific to the holidays that we were celebrating. Um, but I hope you've been enjoying Colossians. I've been enjoying Colossians uh, as we're talking about maturing in Christ. You know, it, it fits so well, the, the whole story, the whole letter of Colossians into our mission as a church. And really the mission of any church is to, to, to guide people, to guide believers into maturity in Christ. 
Because we talked a lot about a lot of things throughout Colossians. We, and we've talked about the reminder that, that as we seek to grow in Christ, that we're not just supposed to get saved and sit down and wait for heaven and have victory in heaven after death, but we're supposed to get saved and then get to the work of seeking God in the spiritual disciplines, of seeking God in prayer and, and in Bible and in Christian fellowship and seeking maturity as our roots grow deeper and deeper and deeper so that when the wind blows or when, when, when the neighbor or the coworker or the atheist comes in and, or, or sickness hits your family, that, that you're rooted and you're strong in your faith. Colossians is all about maturing in Christ. Because here's what's happening. Here's, uh, uh, here's what's happening in the book of Colossians. I don't know how aware you are of these things um, when you read your Bible. But just to kind of get a quick highlight since we've been off this for three weeks. The letters in the New Testament, specifically the letters like Colossians and, and Philippians and Ephesians and Romans, these are letters that are written, written by Paul Two churches, two believers who, who were having a struggle of some kind, a situation of some kind. They had come to Christ through the teachings of the apostles. But other things, other false teachers or other man-made things had kind of crept into their ranks. And, and, and essentially, in a nutshell, what's happening in, in the town of Colossae is these false teachers are coming in and they're dethroning Christ. Okay, they're, they're taking, they're telling these people, okay, Christ is a good thing. Christ is a good starting point. Christ is a good, maybe first or second rung on the ladder to spiritual actualization. But he's not everything. He's a piece of the puzzle. Paul swoops in and says, no, 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 no. Christ is all you need. Christ is all sufficient. Christ is the foundation. We read earlier in chapter one that, that, that all things are created by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. That all of creation, all of existence, all of your DNA, all of who you are, all that makes up everything you see, man-made or created by God, is by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. You take Christ out of the picture, you've got nothing. He is foundational in everything. He is foundational in your growth. And any time, Paul is repeatedly telling us, any time that we add to or remove from the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we are no longer purely serving Christ. And we're missing the point. We're missing the foundation. So he's swooping in and he's saying, listen, guys, don't let anybody come in here and tell you you need more of this or more of that. All you need is Jesus Christ. Our mission statement, I've already said it, making and guiding fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. If you come to our church very often, you, you, you might get a little bored. Is that fair to say? And the reason I say that is because we are blatantly and boldly almost to the point where you might even say repetitively playing the same note. And that same note is salvation through Jesus Christ alone, period. 
Now, that doesn't mean Jesus is boring. I'm not saying that because you can study and you can, and you can go into the depth and the width of Jesus Christ all your life in relationship and, and academically, and you can never fully grasp the, who Jesus Christ is and the, the full person and the work of Jesus Christ. You can't fully grasp it. It is constantly exciting. But at the end of the day, we're a one-trick pony. You need Jesus, period. And that's what Paul wants the people in in Colossae to know. Stop letting people come in here and tell you you need something else. Stop letting people come in here and tell you you have to do this, 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 and this. And if you don't do this, this, and this, you're you're, you're never going to grow. Jesus causes your faith to grow. We must constantly be reminded to set our sights on Christ. Not religion, not the church, not the preacher. Christ. That's what matters. That's what matters. So here's where this takes us as we find our way to the end of chapter 2. How many of you know that Satan likes to steal our joy. How many of you know that if Satan can't keep you out of heaven, he's going to steal your joy on earth? And he has a lot of neat ways to do that. He has a lot of ways to do that that you, you know, he's a lot smarter than we give him credit for on how he creeps in and steals the joy out of a Christian's life. You've met these Christians walking in defeat. Walking like, well, at least I have the hope of heaven. The devil likes to steal our joy. One of the ways that he likes to steal our joy is he has this play on what what I, I like to call this overemphasis of religion, legalism, Um. The devil knows that we like lists. Do you like lists? You like to know the expectations, don't you? You like to know what you have to do to make so-and-so happy. For example, I'm not very good at cleaning our house. I'm pretty bad at it, actually. You can ask my wife. If she asks me to clean the house, and she just says, hey, honey, go clean the bathroom, I'm already lost. What I need is a list. Tell me what to clean in the bathroom. Tell me what tools I need. Tell me what chemicals I need. Tell me what what rags I need. Tell me exactly how to do it. And, and, you know, I'm even going to be happier if you put it down on a piece of paper. And after I clean everything in the house that you want me to clean, I can check that box with a big honking Sharpie marker. And I will know that when I come back to you with all those boxes checked, you're going to be happy. So I know how to make my wife happy because she gave me a list. So you and I have this thing inside of us when it comes to growing in Christ, when it comes to maturing in Christ, when it comes to pleasing God. I just want to know what to do. Just give me the do's and the don'ts. Give me the thou shouts and the thou shalt nots, and and I'll be good. Tell me how to earn heaven. Eh? I'm not from Canada. 
Tell me what I need to do. And, this, and Satan likes to steal our joy by creating these kind of things. But what Paul is offering us here in the passage we're about to read is really a warning against legalism and a, and a launch towards a reminder of that you have new life in Christ and you have freedom in Christ and you have freedom from man-made rules. And that you need to guard yourself against anything that anyone is adding to your walk with Christ. If it ain't in the Bible, if it's more than what you're called to do by the apostles or by the teachings of Christ, you need to guard yourself against it. Because God's presence, God's salvation, and victory are fully revealed in Christ. He is sufficient And there's no need to pursue additional teachings. There's no need to pursue additional practices. We have new life in Christ and we have freedom from man-made rules. So here's the sentence I want you to take with you today if you remember anything that I say. Remember this sentence. If you take notes, you write stuff down, write this down. We don't obey Christ to be saved. We obey Christ because we are saved. We don't obey Christ to be saved. We obey Christ because we are saved. I am obedient to the teachings of Christ. I am obedient to the teachings of the apostles. I seek to be Christ-like. I seek to be holy, holy. Not because if I do this or don't do this, I'm earning favor with God. I've, I, I've already earned favor by God by, by doing nothing more than accepting the cross. You can't get any better than that. So here's what I want to see. This is, this is my love-hate tension with, uh, uh, with preaching through a book of the Bible, just so you're aware of this. One of the things I love about preaching straight through a book of the Bible is it makes us talk about things that I would never choose on a Wednesday afternoon when I'm sitting in my office like, hey, we need to talk about this. I love that it forces me to do that. But you know what I hate? I hate that it forces me to do that because it, it, it puts me into some harder things to study. It puts me into some more challenging things. So I want you to know I'm not cherry picking this because, because I think that, there, that there's something specific in you or in the church that needs to be uh, proclaimed about this, that we have a problem with this. I'm simply preaching this because we're preaching the inspired word of God. We seek to preach the whole counsel of God as best that we can by God's help. And that's just the next passage. So if you're here for the first time, this is the passage you chose. So here's what's happening in the, in the scene. Now remember, these are letters, so it's kind of it's all a continuation. Paul has just finished um, talking about, he just finished saying, hey, listen. You remember a week before Palm Sunday, if you were here, Jesus has canceled the record of charges against us by nailing them to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he has shamed them publicly by victory on the cross. So Paul is saying, okay, so you, have, you, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, your sins were nailed to the cross. All of those mistakes you made, all of those, the, those sins that you've committed, all these, everything that you've done that is disobedient to Christ, everything that has missed the mark of perfection— which we've all done, everything has been nailed to the cross because you have bowed your knee to him and confessed your sins to him. It's nailed to the cross 
So now we move into verses 16 through 23. So in that light, in that light, we enter into this. So your sins are forgiven. To the Christian, so your sins are forgiven. Verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you. All right, point one, right? Okay, your sins were nailed to the cross. It is finished. We are victorious. It's done. You're forgiven, past, present, and future. Check. You didn't do anything but say yes to Jesus, and it's gone. You've got heaven, and you've got full life today. So right out of the gate, so don't let anyone condemn you. You are saved by grace. You are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Amen? Yeah, some of you are going to amen that. All right. All right. I love it. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. The overarching theme of this first paragraph is, listen, the reality is Christ. The reality is Christ. The foundation is Christ in all that you're doing. He saved you. He, is, he, he has forgiven you. And all of these other things we need to look at. We need to think about. Don't let people look at you for not doing something. So the first section we see is what you eat or drink, festivals or Sabbaths. Now this in the context is probably referring to Jewish dietary laws or holy days that are kind of celebrated annually or monthly or, or weekly. But what happened is you take a rule standpoint is here's what's great about rules. Here's what's great about the law. They give these very clear expectations. So the, these rituals dis- distinguish the Jews from their neighbors, and, and failure to observe these laws, uh, they, they made it obvious to those who were watching. They made it obvious to the person down the street who was keeping an eye on their neighbor to see if they were being Jewish. Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Are you, f- are, are you following the rules? Now, there's a place for that in, in, in Christianity within the church in the sense that if, if you have 
a, a Christian brother or sister that has claimed Christ, has been baptized into the faith, and, 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 and they say they're going to follow Christ, and then their life looks nothing like it, then you, as a, as a brother or sister in Christ, can privately go to them and say, hey, listen, I see a discrepancy in your life. Can we talk about this? Can we pray about this? But this is a situation where you're looking down the street and you're judging somebody for not looking uh, the way that you think that they're supposed to. But we shouldn't let ourselves be judged by others because Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free. And let me show you, as, as pertains to food and drink, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus declared all foods clean when he said, nothing enters a man from the outside can make him unclean. It's what comes from within that makes a man unclean. Speaking of the evil that comes, that flows from a man's heart. That it's not about what you eat or drink. In, in Peter's vision in Acts, whenever he was told to get up and kill and eat, when all the animals came down on the sheet. Another declaration that all foods are clean. And Paul made the conclusion that unified the New Testament in telling us that all food and drink are lawful in, in 1 Corinthians 8.8 8, when he said, Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat it, and we are not better off if we do eat it. The answer is that all of these are shadows of Christ who has come. That for someone to come in and say, this you can, this you can't, and then judging you accordingly is man-made regulation. And we have freedom in Christ. We have parameters, we have directives but to say that you are holier because you abstain this, that, or the other thing is not biblical. Don't let anyone condemn you for insisting on self-denial or the worship of angels. These false teachers had, had came in and they're advocating this self-denial for spiritual growth. They're advocating that, that, that denying the everyday pleasures of life or even self-mortification is a means to maturity. Think, for example, monks. Or, or think even, even nuns. That, that by, by denying something, by denying some pleasure that is normal to human life, they think that they are growing closer in their maturity to Christ. Sadly, church history has been filled with these stories of Christians rejecting what is beautiful and good and is a gift from God. Things that are made for our joy. And you look across Christian history and you see different sects of, of rejection of marriage and rejection of sex and parenthood and, and rejection of modern day conveniences. We see a lot of that locally. And, and even just rejection of God's creation and thinking that if you're doing all these things or not doing all these things, that you're going to be closer to God, that you're going to, to, to check the box that makes God love you more. But all of this, Paul is explicitly, explicitly shooting down and saying all of this is self-made, man-made religion, and it doesn't do us any good. In fact, on the opposite side, it can heighten our fleshly temptation and produce a joyless, stressful, defensive life. But that's not the life that Christ has saved you into. That's not freedom of freedom in Christ. That's not freedom in Christ, because the true path to spiritual maturity 
is holding fast to Christ as the head and keeping your sights on him as the foundation. And that is where you will find life abundant. Not in man-made rules. Now there is a place for that. Of course there is in the life of the Christian. Yes, believers have to, we've got to put aside sinful desires for periods of time as our biblical, but, but doing so is the byproduct of our new life in Christ. It's the byproduct of our new life for Christ, not the reason that we have new life in Christ. Because remember, we are obedient because we are saved, not, in, not obedient so we can be saved. If you tell a teenager to, not, to, to, to abstain from sex until they're married, that's, that's not because if they do that, they will be more saved or they will be more holy. That's because God has designed it to be beautiful inside of its confinements. The call to abstain for a short period of time. But our salvation doesn't depend on our own discipline or rule keeping, but on the power of Christ's death and resurrection. Our salvation does not depend on our own discipline. It doesn't depend on our own rule keeping, but on the power of Christ's death and resurrection. He is the head and he nourishes the body and we are called to set our sights on him. Because if you make too big of a list... If you make too, big, too many rules, if you make too many laws, and they are man-made and you can't see them in Scripture, you're taking the focus off of the one main thing. Doesn't mean it's always bad, but it can't be the focus. Because here's the thing. As we move into the second half of Paul's passage, he, he makes it clear that these man-made rules... They seem wise, but they create pride. See, these rules seem wise because they seem wise because they, there's this, they require strong devotion and they require self-denial and they require severe bodily discipline. But the truth is that they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. That's the last, that's actually the last verse that we read, verse 23, Colossians 2:23, that they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Rules don't help. Here's what I'm saying. I can, I can stand up here and I can, I, can, I can tell you what you need to do to be a Christian. I can tell you what you can do, what you can't do. I can give you the list. I can give you the rules. And you walk out of here, you might be motivated, you might be excited about, all right, I know what I can and can't do. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to abstain. I'm going to do this the way I'm supposed to. You can walk out of here and you can put human effort to it day after day after day. And I will be amazed if you make it a week. Have you been there? Where you struggled with a sin and you say, I'm I'm done. I'm done. And with all your human effort, three days later, you're back again. I'm done. I'm done. Three days later, you're back again. I'm done. I'm done. But you're trying to follow this man-made list, this man-made expectation, when the reality is, if you're going to find victory, it's not the rule that helps. It's not the do's and the don'ts and the thou shalt nots that help. It's Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that helps. That 
is the only way to victory. That is the only way to life triumphant. And that is life abundant. And you can have that through the cross of Christ. Man-made rules seem wise because we love lists. Because I like to be able to come to church and look around here and say, this one's a good Christian because they know how to dress. This one's a good Christian because I've never heard them say this. I've never seen them drink this. They've never told a funny joke. They don't even watch football. You, know, I, you see all these things, but that's all external. That tells me nothing about what's going on in here unless we start talking about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, peace, patience, kindness. Those are the things that God gives you. Those are the things that God changes in your life. And there's going to be some, you know, there could be some external changes that happen in that. But that's not the standard. That's not the list. That's not the must and must not. Man-made rules seem wise because we love lists. But man-made rules that provide an external visible checklist for following Jesus have a tendency to create pride. That's the other thing Paul tells us. They have a tendency to create pride because now if I know the expectation, if I know what it takes to make my wife happy, and I have a perfect list, and it is a bunch of clean this, don't clean that, clean this, don't clean that, do this, don't do that, and I do the list and I take it to her, I anticipate that she is going to love me because I've done something. I anticipate that she is going to forgive any mistake that I made because I've done something. But I can walk around the house you know, with my chest, my shoulders high, like, you love me, don't you? Huh? I cleaned the bathroom today. Look at me. Huh? Look what I did. Look how good a husband I am. The neighbor, he's never done this. Bet you're glad you didn't marry him. Look at me. I'm the man you needed. Every girl in this town wishes she was married to me. Because I checked the boxes. The same thing can happen in church. If it's all external and it's all physical achievement, just puffs each other up. And then we can look down on the others. Here's the thing. If you have died with Christ, he has set you free to live for him and you have new life in Christ. So why keep following human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them? That's a nice outfit. How long is it going to be till you take it to goodwill? Why are we living for that? Why are we letting that be the standard? So as I begin to wrap this up, I just want to give you a couple, just real quick, guard yourself against man-made religion. So this is just a little bit of a, of a mental, take this with you. If anybody wants this, this list, I can give it to you because you like lists. But if somebody is teaching you and has these standards, if you want to know if these are man-made things, I, I, I offer you these questions. Because it's very important that as we follow Christ in life abundant, that we're reminded that we have freedom in Christ. That, we, that we, we were not saved into more rules. And I don't want to be, I, I, I've, I've heard sob stories before of preachers who have preached for 30, 40 years and, and realized that for 30, 40 years they've preached the law. They've preached rules. 
that they've preached a lot of truth, but not enough grace. I want to preach grace because I believe that's what Jesus came to give us. Because I can't be anything without grace. So guard against man-made religion by asking these questions. Six. Number one, does it stress man-made rules rather than God's grace? Does it stress man-made rules over God's grace? Number two, does it foster a critical spirit towards others or exercise a quiet discipline and love? Number three, does it stress formulas, secret knowledge, or special visions more than the word of God? Number four, does it evaluate or does, does it elevate self-righteousness, honoring and puffing up those who keep the rules rather than elevating Christ? Is it about you or Christ? Number five, does it neglect Christ's universal church, capital C church, and claim to be an elite group? That you're not really a Christian unless you're with us. Number six, does it teach self-deprivation as a means to spiritual growth rather than growth in Christ for the whole person? Legalism is still rampant. Legalism is still attractive to a lot of people. But following a long list of religious rules, it requires strong self-discipline and it can make a person appear to be moral, appear to be following Christ, but, but religious rules can't change a person's heart. Only the Holy Spirit can change a heart. Self-denial to follow man-made rules might appear to be spiritual. It might appear to be great, but it actually promotes nothing more than confidence in self rather than Christ. And I, for one, want to place all of my confidence, all of my hope in Christ alone. So we don't obey Christ to be saved. We obey Christ because we are saved. That's my prayer for you today is that you're reminded to set your sights on Jesus, not the preacher, not the leader, not the church, not the other Christians, not the list of rules that may or may not be in your head or in someone else's head or imposed upon you, but to let the word and the spirit lead you and teach you and live life abundantly. Live life to the full. So the worship team is going to come up and close us out with a song. I want to, uh, as you guys come on up here, I, I want to invite the, uh, anybody who wants to come and pray to the altar. Um, it doesn't have to be specific to what I'm talking about today. Um, but if it is, I'd love to talk to you and pray with you. Um, you know, over the last week, it's interesting to me as I've learned, as I've been doing this pastoral ministry thing for three years now, um, the, the flow of the church. And, and we have weeks where I'll get nobody contact me, and then we'll have weeks where it's like, I feel like everybody that's connected with our church has their world coming in on them. This was kind of one of those weeks where there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of sickness. So what I want to do is I just want to offer to you guys an open altar again, as it always is. So please, if there's anyone in your life in, or you personally, or if you're ready to confess to Christ um, or if you're ready to declare healing or, or to, to, to pray for healing for a family member and intercede on their behalf wherever they're at, um, please do it today. And let's just together, let's just worship and call on the name of the Lord and I'll pray with you if you'd like to.
pray with me. So let's pray right now. Father God, I love you. I praise you. Lord, we thank you for life abundant and we thank you for freedom in Christ and new life in Christ. That we don't have to follow man-made rules, but that we can simply open up our Bibles and say, what does Jesus have to say about this? What does it mean to be obedient to the cross of Christ? So Lord, I pray that where there is sickness, we pray for healing. We pray for comfort. That where there are sick hearts, Lord, we pray for new hearts and new creations. We pray for repentance and we pray for salvation. And we pray your Holy Spirit will move right now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.